Do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Hey, here we go. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 505-505. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about a few different things. Um, Student mental health days. Um, empathy gym, empathy and trauma. And then we might share a little bit from one of our, uh, team Zen members. Did you read that thing from the uh-huh, team Zen member? Uh-huh. Do you think it's worth repeating? Only if we go down that road. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of a different topic. Sweetie, what is team Zen? Just, uh, before we jump into um, the show. So team Zen is our virtual community, um, where it's, it's actually our third podcast, we do this thing called Zen Talks. It's like a live talk, interactive. You can ask questions. Um, we also bring on best-selling authors, so you can ask them questions. Sweetie, for all that, man, that must be a lot of money. And How I'm, much I'm is that I'm not even cost? done. You're busting in, oh, and sorry. there's still other things. Oh, what is it? Um, we still have we have a Facebook page where we can answer questions. And Now you must be done. But wait, there's more. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like a commercial. And then we also, you know, they get discounts for the conference and discounts for all these things. And then you just have a community of people besides us um, that you can rely on. Yeah. Um, Next one is August 9th at 12 Uh o'clock. Next Zen Talk. You don't have to be there. Mm -mm. Actually, most people aren't there. Yeah. So basically what happens is we tape this call and people um, send in their questions or are live and ask questions and then it just shows up for you as a podcast on your phone. Like it's another podcast. When we say that, we mean it literally. Uh, Team Zen, zero pressure, 100% support, only uh-huh. 25 bucks a month. And uh, if you want to just uh, jump in, we'd love to see you. And even if you don't, but you want to support what Kathy and I do through uh, Team Zen, you can also do that as well. So um, let's move on. Okay. Where do you want to start? Do you want to, let's start with this mental health day. Yeah, I have nothing. Sweetie's got nothing. She's I literally empty. have no paper in front of me. I'm, so. I'm, I'm running the train. I'm running the control board today. Um, I saw something in Time Magazine online and the title of it was called Oregon Students Can Now Take Mental Health Days Home from School. Yeah. We just had our daughters on the podcast um, five episodes ago and we talked about the mental health days. Correct. Um, and I don't know, you might have to help me explain what it is, but let's say your kid is physically feeling just fine, but they're emotionally overwhelmed. Um, this is kind of a litmus test for all of us parents out there. I could tell you, uh, when I was a little kid, if I said, yeah, mom, I'm emotionally overwhelmed. I have a feeling she would have said, you know what? I hear you, but you're going back to school because you're not, you don't have a fever. You're not throwing up. You're going to school. So what these kids did, these kids were inspired by the students at Parkland, Florida, who were big advocates for change. Uh And they went to the state capitol and they lobbied for these mental health days. Um, And I'm going to read a few things out of it. Um, Don't call it coddling. The students behind the measure say it's meant to change the stigma around mental health in a state that has some of the United States highest suicide rates. Mental health experts say it's one of the first state laws to explicitly instruct schools to treat mental health and physical health equally. And it comes at a time educators are increasingly considering emotional health of students. Mm -hmm. Step in the right direction, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of think they're one in the same. For me, I I don't understand why we create such a distinction between the two. There is kind of a weird, um, you know, 
thing that people from our generation and the generations above us do where we'll like, you know, a kid will say, I'm not feeling well and we'll touch their forehead. And if it's not hot, we're like, no, you're fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we don't look for any other information. Right. But we all know that when you're stressed, it affects your stomach. It affects your head. When you're feeling overwhelmed, um, it can make you shut down. It can make you like have body aches. It can cause your throat to get sore when you're feeling so to me, I think they're connected and, and a kid. And and here's the thing that people have to understand where we have gotten into this place where when we talk about these things, the first thought is that allowing a child to either rest, relax, take a break, or maybe show up late for school is in fact coddling them, then teaching them how to not live in the world. But the weird thing is we put our kids through this school system that's definitely not like the world. And then we tell them that they have to work all the time and work all the time and work all the time. Right. And then we tell them that they aren't anything unless they achieve and they won't mean anything unless they go to the best school and we do all these things. And then they get done and then either the it keeps going where they have they go into a workplace where they have to achieve, achieve, achieve right. until they get sick or discover they have an autoimmune or feel overwhelmed with their own anxiety. And then we're like, why don't you relax? Yeah. Where, why don't you learn how to relax? Why don't you take a break and not just a once a year vacation, but really learn how to relax? I mean, that's why there's such a mindfulness boom right, right. now because we have s- these generations of well, our generation than kids who literally don't know how to relax. So my point is, is what we're teaching them, we have to unteach them eventually. So why, or we have to unwind that they do if they want to stay sane and healthy. So why don't we alongside all the hard work that they have, teach them how to relax? You ready for my first movie scene of the yeah, day? You're, you're excited because you've been holding it. He doesn't feel well. Yeah, right. Dry that one out. You can fertilize the lawn. Ferris Bueller. It is Ferris Bueller. Good job. But our brand new internet is is buffering, sweetie. Oh, oh, that wasn't it. No, that wasn't it. I wanted to play the part where he says, "Lick your palms." Lick your palms. Because it's a very um, hard to diagnose symptom. It is because if you're just clammy, clammy. What are you going to do about it? And you know, sometimes. It, it can be a lot easier, even for me personally, to stay home in bed if I indeed have a fever, because right. then you know that you need to sleep. It can be very difficult to self-diagnose or to make the determination that you need to Well, and there's times relax. even when you are sick and you don't think you're sick. Well, and that's exactly what I mean is once you have a fever, there's no doubt about it, right? But there are times when, and this is how I've monitored this over the years, is I will remember how I feel and what I can't do. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't pick up that blow dryer. Mm-hmm. I have to sit on the floor in the shower. Yeah. I have to, oh no, I can't walk up and down the stairs. But I'll be like, no, I'm fine. And then when I do feel fine, picking up a blow dryer, walking down the stairs are not difficult things. So then I realize <laughs> I was sick, but we're so self-shaming. I mean, we grew up with the, if you don't have a fever, get in school. Um, despite little op- public opposition from lawmakers, uh, Hardcastle says she's received pushback from some parents who say the legislation wasn't necessary as students can already take mental health days by lying or pretending to be sick. Other opponents have said that the law will encourage students to find more excuses to miss school in a state that also suffers from one of the worst absenteeism rates in the nation. So what is the law? Like, what, uh, what does it say? Good question. I wrote that down somewhere. 
Under the state law, students can have up to five absences excused in a three-month period. Anything more requires a written excuse to the principal. Okay. So and you can use mental health as, as a reason, as a reason, as an excuse whereas before you could. Well, and that's the thing is the parents are right. They're like, but we could do this all the time. If my kid was overwhelmed, I'd just call him in sick and lie. Yeah. But how about we get rid of the stigma? Yeah. How do we, well, how about we treat mental health as, as much as, as we treat thing. physical health? Because if you're really already doing that, yeah. then why don't we create a pathway for that? Yeah. And again, an honest pathway. Yeah, an honest pathway. And it all it does is, and then of course people will come in and say, oh, it gives kids more permission to miss school. I think that's that mindset to me, it's a very common mindset. I hear it all the time from people, but is a belief system that everybody is out to take advantage of everybody else. Yeah. And if you give kids some autonomy mm -hmm. and you respect what they're feeling and what they're experiencing, they don't take advantage of you. Right. If you micromanage them and you knock on their door constantly and say, what are you doing? And say, are you studying? And did you get by the book? And are you doing, and you're all over them? Yes. They try to escape you yeah. and they do it in ways that you may not like. Yeah, They get very clever. They do. And then you say, that's what kids do. Yeah. But what Todd and I are always trying to say on this show is if you give them some space and respect and you listen to I them, trust. they don't do that. Yeah. They, they still may need a mental health day and they still may get physically sick. It's not that those things go away, but then there's at least in out in the open about what's happening. Yeah. Like we have constructed something that, that often puts our kids in a position where they feel they have to lie because you won't understand because you've told them you don't, because right. you touch their forehead and say, you're fine, go to school. And I know you'll say, well, I had to. And then my question is, but did, was that the best thing for you? Yeah. And if, you know, because what I've watched my kids do is when they've had these choices, a lot of times they've said, you know what, I'm going to go to school. Like we always leave it up to them. You do what you, you know, we'll say, if you've got a headache, take an Advil, take a bath, take a shower, drink a lot of water. And if they still don't feel good, we'll say, it's up to you what you're going to do. And I would say 97% of the time they go, mm -hmm. but then if they don't feel well, they'll come home early or they'll come home and go right to bed. So they don't want to miss school either because you know what happens when kids miss school? It's it backed up. Exactly. So you've got to remember, it's not just kids don't wake up, you know, you know, rubbing their hands together, thinking, how can I trick my parents today? They have their own life where they would prefer not to get behind. Right. So, and again, there are some of you listening who say, not my kid, my kid's an exception. They're always trying to manipulate. Then it's an exception. Okay. Go that, ahead. I hear you. But We're I- speaking more generally from our perspective. Yeah. Well, from kids I know, not just my own, but the kids I work with, like they- Yeah, right. <laughs> Dry that one out. You can fertilize the lawn. Jeannie, is that you? Jeannie, I can't see that far. <laughs> Jeannie? Jeannie, I... Bite the big one, Junior. Thank you, Jeannie. You get to school. Wait, you're letting him stay home? I can't believe this. If I was bleeding out my eyes, you guys would make me go to school. This is so unfair. Jeannie, please don't be upset with me. You have your health. Be thankful. Oh. Mm. Oh. That's oh, it's a great show. That's a great movie to share with your kids. Well, and you know, here's the thing. We, all of us listening, at least the majority of us, saw that movie when we were Ferris's age, right? Yep. And do you think, it's a made up movie, it's fictional, but if we could pretend it was real, do you think that it was kind of great that Ferris took a day off? I do. 
Like, I I know that I'm not going to say to my kids, hey, take a day off and go to the Cubs game. But when you look back on your life, don't you occasionally have to do something out of the norm, even if it's once a year? Like, I think when our girls were on the show, they were saying, like, we were asking them, like, how many mental health days did you take this year? And I think they each said around one. I don't, Skylar, yeah, I, I don't remember, but it was around one. I can think of the other two. And... And unfortunately, they really didn't feel great about what was going on. So they had to like relax. But there was a time, um, you know, previous years where we took them out to like a Cubs game. Mm -hmm. You took them to a game. You took them to one of the musicals. I took them to see Wicked one time. And those are, it's once a year, everybody. So for those of you who are like, oh, but we can't do that. One day a year? Like we can't like My dad used to take me out to go to the White Sox opener. And he said I had a... A doctor's appointment with Dr. LaRussa, who was the man, Tony LaRussa was the manager of the White Sox at the time. And he picked me up at noon and it was like one of my favorite days ever. I know. And you remember it, right? And this is, I've been having a lot of like grief lately because my children are getting old and they just don't need me as much. You are? Um, They, they love me and I love them, but they're just, they're, you know, they're autonomous individuals. They're actually living what we hope to teach them, which also means they're busy. Right. Um, But so I'm, I've been sad. I've been crying a lot lately. And they're not even gone. Like my oldest is going, she's going to be a junior. And I know for those of you who have children leaving for college in like a week, you're like, Kathy, you have no idea. Correct. I don't. And I, you know, just wait, don't, if you see me around town, I'm sure my eyes will be swollen. Um, but I have been thinking about what do I want to do with this time that we all, where we're all under one roof. I mean, the whole reason I started the book that I'm, you know, almost done with was because I realized a few years ago how I had like the big realization. I was watching my kids play on the beach and I'm like, oh my God, they're not going to live with us. Like I realized JC was going to high school and I'm like, she's only going to live with us like four more years. Like sure, she'll come home in the summer and stuff, I hope, but not in the way she lives with us now. It'll never be the same. And so what do I want to do at this time? Do I want to say, go to school, get in school, do what everybody else is doing, you know, get straight A's, you know, study all the time and just get into this like rote routine? Or do we want to occasionally like go this year, we're going to go to Florida. We're going to take a day off school and yeah. go to Florida and we're going to go see the mouse and we're going to go see the mouse and we're going to, Skylar's never been, that's, that's a third child thing. Yeah. Like JC's been to Disney world like four times. Cameron's been like three times. Skyler's never been. She was there as a baby. She she, she ate was, the lemons in the in the castle. That's the only memory she has. All right, you ready to hear Ferris one more time? You bet. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. It's a good non-specific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a dead lock, but uh, you get a nervous mother, you could wind up in a doctor's office. That's worse than school. You fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over, moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. (laughs) It is. See, that's Sig Sig Sputnik. And then this is my favorite line of the whole thing. I think I ought to lie down. Take a hot bath, and then uh, wrap a hot towel around your head. (laughs) Wrap a hot towel around my head. And then, make yourself some soup. Get a nap. Okay. Okay. Such dad advice. And I was going to say, who's going to wrap a hot towel around their head? Well, dad must do that or else he wouldn't be suggesting There's it. There's nothing good about wrap. Nobody wraps. I, like, I just think of like, what does that mean? It just means like warm up your head. It feels good. Like, it's like when I say to the girls, do you want a hot water bottle? Like around your hair? 
Yeah, you just wrap a hot towel. It's just the worst advice ever. It's not. You say it to the kids all the time. And what's funny, at the beginning of that scene that it wasn't on this YouTube clip, he's like, Ferris, you sound terrible. It's like, that's the first thing that parents, that kids want to hear. Like, they, their kids sounds terrible. Um, you do, I have the same, I say the same things to the girls all the time. Drink a glass of water. I say get outside. Lay down on the grass. Yeah. We always do a lay down on the grass thing. Yeah. Um, take a shower and use a hot water bottle or, or a cold water bottle. I mean, I feel like if the girls were here and we said, what does mom say to do? Mm-hmm. And then if we asked what you would say, you would say wrap a hot towel around your head. Then get yourself some soup. Get yourself some soup and then take a nap. That's right. Um, before I get into the next topic on today's show, I want to promote my Coaching for Guys practice. Go to ToddAdamsCoaching.com. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to support you. First session's free. We'll talk about relationships, work-life balance, stuff like that. ToddAdamsCoaching.com. So on my way to Minnesota last... Minnesota. That's how they say it, sweetie. Minnesota. Yes, I'm aware. Um, I listened to The Hidden Brain, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And Kathy has no idea what I'm about to play, but there is a podcast and it's called The Empathy Gym. Um, and this is the summary of it. Some people are good at putting themselves in another person's shoes. Others may struggle to relate, but psychologist Jamil Saki argues that empathy isn't a fixed trait. This week, it's how to exercise our empathic muscles. Sounds good, right? Of course. So I'm going to play three different sections, all of about a minute. And this one is in response to trauma because the last few co- podcasts, sweetie, we've been uh, talking a lot about trauma, and I just thought that it was interesting to talk yet again about it since it's kind of been fresh on the minds of us and our listeners. So okay, uh, it's nah, it's about a minute. Jamil, people who have been through terrible suffering can respond in different ways. Some people turn inward to avoid future pain, while others turn outward. They show empathy for the suffering of other people. I feel like I've seen research studies that show both these things. Can you talk about these studies and why people might go in one direction or another after they experience trauma? Yeah, you know, I think that we often think of trauma, you know, sort of things like being through a war or being assaulted or suffering a terrible injury as things that, again, as you as you put it nicely, sort of draw us into each other or even that trauma might perpetuate itself. We often hear about cycles of violence or the idea that hurt people hurt people. Um, And that's certainly true in some cases, but there's a lot of research that's actually much more hopeful um, on what psychologists call altruism born of suffering. This is the idea that sometimes when we've gone through great pain, that actually sort of opens us up to caring more about other people and their suffering. So there are all sorts of examples of that as well. Um, So for instance, people who have suffered from addiction often change their lives and become addiction counselors. People who have been assaulted often change their lives and become assault counselors, sort of because they resonate with the frequency of other people suffering more acutely. All right, so that's the first one. Well, absolutely. I feel like that's everything we talk about. It is, except, but we also say all the time on the show that hurt people hurt people. But as he said, those are both true. What what he's trying to say, he, he started by saying, you know, you hear this and that hurt people hurt people. And he said, and also. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's what we talk about that you can have a post-traumatic response, which is you struggle so much with the feelings that you're having that you numb them or you act them out or your behavior becomes indicative of what you experienced 
or you work through it and you process it and talk about it and you're mindful of the feelings and you actually develop a compassion for yourself and therefore you develop compassion for other people. So I would love to find out what the percentage is because the three examples he used as far as trauma, I think he talked about war and being assaulted mm-hmm. and I forget what the third one is. I just wonder how many people turn it um, inward in a negative way and how many spin it into something to build from and a positive. You know why you'll never get a stat on that? Why? It's because it, people do things at different times. Someone may have an experience with assault where the first five years they are self-harming and they're harming of others and they take advantage of other people or possibly hurt somebody and then have a realization that what they're doing is painful, more painful to themselves and others and then they experience post-traumatic growth. Right. It's not as if we experience something and then the next day we make a decision right. and we stay a, with it's that. It's part of a process. Exactly. And so that's the thing is like even people struggling with addiction, you know, it takes years, sometimes, not always, but sometimes years and years and years to even recognize that this is challenging your lifestyle. And then it takes even more years sometimes to go through recovery and people have relapses, but they are moving toward a more post-traumatic growth. Yeah. And I think we can spend a whole lifetime doing that. Right. Like. I've seen this, not only have I experienced this personally, like my, to think about my judgments from like 15 years ago, um, they're like archaic. Like the things I used to judge people on, um, and I don't mean I walked around all the time judging people like as a hobby, but just very, very quick judgments like, mm. oh, they're doing that wrong. Or why would someone say that? Or why would someone do that? Or why wouldn't someone stop doing that? And I just had a very like uh, naive an immature judgment kind of system. Sure. And everything that I've experienced in the past 15, 16 years as a mother, as someone who has experienced loss and gone through my own depression or struggle with my own anxiety, I just do not see people the same way. Right. My judgments are so... I mean, it's not that I still don't have judgmental thoughts. I do. But man, I can talk those down pretty quickly yeah. because you don't know what's going on with people and they may be in the midst of something. I just had a conversation with someone today about this, about some of their choices and how they recognize they weren't making good choices, but they're like, I am in so much pain today that I can't make the right choice today, but I'm working toward it. So I guess my point is, is that any statistic would be a little skewed, right? Well, you would think research would be able to kind of measure somebody because there is scientists and researchers that do this for a living mm-hmm. and you would think that they would like measure them after a year, after five years or something like that. Like I'm not yeah, smart enough true. to know what that is. But I obviously agree with you that it's part of a process and um, it's just, you know, some people never recover from a trauma. Some people recover after 10 years and some people figured out a month later. It depends on right. the severity and, and what, what it was and what support they got post-traumatic circumstance. And what they did with it. You know, like I, do, I don't know. And there, I know there's some out there, which is, which is 100% fine, but all the addiction counselors I've met are in recovery themselves. Yeah. You know, majority of people that I've worked with who focus on domestic abuse, they have been... Right. That, that has been their life experience, maybe not personally, but they grew up in a home where it was. So we take, this is what always the hope is, right? Yeah. Last week when we were talking about children experiencing trauma, 
I really do push back on the fact that you have to experience trauma, a, a significant one to make change, because I think if your heart is open to the world, you're seeing trauma all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who can look at what's going on in our own country, but also on the other side of the world and their heart opens just by seeing it. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm actually going to skip to the third one okay. because it talks about how empathy can actually cripple us. Of course. So here we go. This is uh, yeah, just about just under a minute. I think a lot of us have this experience when we see, for instance, a homeless individual on the sidewalk ahead of us. I've heard of people who cross the street to avoid that encounter, uh, maybe because they don't want to sort of see that person suffering close up because it will make them feel sad or guilty or both. There's some irony there, isn't there, which is that the person who is likely to actually be more empathic is also the person who's likely to cross the street because they recognize that the empathy that they have inside them is going to make them feel bad. Absolutely. Yeah, I've talked with lots of people who identify as empaths and basically say that they're crippled by their overabundance of care for other people and that sometimes they avoid sort of busy cities overall just because they don't want to be inundated with other people's pain. All right. What do you think? Well, 100%. That's been my experience. And I think that... It's weird that empathy can inhibit you from putting yourself in a position where you might be able to help because you feel too much. Correct. And you've lived with me for a lot of years where Mm -hmm. this has been my challenge. But I think that that has been like, you know, as I've said many times, I stopped doing one-on-one therapy with people because I couldn't tolerate it in my body. Right. And there are certain movies I don't watch because I can't take it in. And there are certain stories I don't read because I can't feel, I don't want to feel what it will inevitably make me feel. But within that, see, I I kind of look everything, look at everything as far as like always striking a balance because, you know, I can sit and I hear a lot of people do this, you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm an empath. I'm an empath. And the word, just like all words get thrown, it gets thrown around. How so? Um, because what does that, and I'm not questioning, I'm not saying, no, you're not, or trying to like, you know, get the, get the edge on that word. It's just, what that means to me is that when you are experience the world, your your veil is so thin, like I even it makes me like cringe, like you literally can feel the experiences of the people that that are walking by you. You can feel, you know, a song kind of hits you in a in different ways. A um, I'm even affected by things like the weather mm-hmm. and that, you know, just, you just kind of are like bombarded with the feelings of the world. Now, everybody has access to that. Like, it's not as if, I mean, you have that experience, you see something or feel something, or you're with someone and you're like, oh yeah, they were sad. It's not that, you know, only certain people do this, but what I realized in myself, the reason why I had to claim that word is it was making me sick. And I don't think it makes everybody sick. Right. Well, and I feel a few things. One is I feel like proximity is a big part of it. So like, you know, I'll I'll randomly turn on the news and there'll be all these horrific stories. Mm -hmm. Doesn't, it's not even on my radar. It does mm-hmm. not bother me at all. Mm-hmm. But if I am outside of my driveway and I see a bird with a broken wing, mm-hmm. like I can't stop thinking about mm-hmm. that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird. I think proximity plays, at least for me, a huge 
role in whether or not I am empathic towards something that is horrific. And I think that that makes complete sense because energetically, a television telling you things, there's not a lot of human component to that because there's a lot of different energy and waves and things that kind of get in the way of you really feeling what's going on. And not only that, but the TV doesn't always tell you the truth. So sometimes things are exaggerated or downplayed and you're not, the information you're not getting, you don't know how to feel about it. Where when you walk out in your driveway and there's a bird who's struggling and Mm. suffering it you can relate to it that's what your mirror neurons are there for it's like wow and i want to help but i feel like my mirror neurons like i think some other people will turn on the news i mean i i remember dating a girl in college and her mom would just start crying whenever the news came on Mm -hmm. i'm just like oh my gosh like you know i judge i'm like get it together don't turn the news on or whatever so like some people are hardwired to be empathic even through all these barriers of intimacy, which would be the TV, the the possibility that this may be a BS story, um, but yet they still connect with it. Well, of course. And this is like... Um kind of like what we were just saying before about post-traumatic growth, there are different times. Like there are things I see on the TV that make me cry. Sure. And there are times that the news is just too much. And, you know, in this experience with this, you know, this mother, maybe she didn't do that all the time, yeah. but maybe occasionally something on the news made her cry. It seemed know? like it was all the time. Well, that's an assumption because you've told yourself that story sure. a lot. Like you don't really know. Someone, she, there was an experience, someone watched it, relayed it through their brain, told you, and then you made up a story about it. But maybe, you know, maybe she was going through a depression at the time. Like you never know what's going on. So I guess my point is, is that what you have to be, it's just like anything. It's, this is what we always say about any kind of addiction. Is it affecting your life in such a way Mm -hmm. that it is keeping you from doing what you need to do? And what I found from the way I felt people and experienced people, I had to, for lack of a better way to say this, get my shit together. Like I had to learn how to go through the world and be less affected, not to close myself down. See, because that's what a lot of empaths do is they numb themselves so they don't have to feel. And what I wanted to figure out is how do I not numb myself? Because remember, if you numb yourself, you can't feel the good stuff either. Right. Because empaths have a lot of access to really good joy too. And I didn't want to numb that. But how do I protect myself? And this is a whole nother world of like, you know, like how do I use things like oils and meditation and visualization and white light? And how do I do that to keep myself safe? And I think that there's a lot of people, sometimes people don't even have the same words I do for it, but they, they do things like that. Like before I walk in, I'm going to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. I'm going to remember that I don't need to pick up other people's stuff. I mean, I know you do that. You just don't call it the same thing I do. Well, you do it more intentionally than I do. More intentionally. Good word. More intentionally. I don't be, and the reason you have a better practice of it is because I got sick all the time. Yeah. It just, it hit you harder and more deeply and more frequently than it did me. Right. And, you know, sometimes I would, I still do sometimes beat myself up because I can see something horrific and I'll just shut it. I'll just turn it off like in my brain. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I would sometimes feel guilty or shameful about that. And then I'm kind of revisiting that right now. And it's like, actually, that's not, it could be a weakness, but it's also a strength. Correct. Uh, because I can persevere through something 
because I have the ability to shut that off, of it's course. just that also comes with a cost. It all comes with a cost. Everything has its highs and lows to it, right? You know, like the like I said, the one gift that I feel like has been accessible to me is joy. But you can't feel joy all the time yeah. because if you're gonna, if you are gonna have that like opening where you're like, oh my gosh, the trees are so beautiful and nature's so beautiful. You know, sometimes I just have these like joy bursts where it's like, oh my god, everything's so great. Right. But if you are open for that, <laughs> then you also are open for big emotional waves. Well, it's funny, and I don't know how much. The, so this podcast opens. So if nothing else, I just am inviting our listeners to listen to this awesome podcast, but. And I listened to it last week, so I'll do my best in describing it. There was this artist who's in Chicago who's from either Iran or Iraq. I forget which one. You say Iran or Iran? Um, what did uh, Roxana tell us to say? I can't we... remember. That's why I'm asking. I don't know. Ir- I always said Iran. I think it's Iran. Okay. Um, and he was looking at footage when the drones would just be bombing. Yeah. There would be somebody, some American in some booth somewhere that was instructing these machines that were flying to bomb mm-hmm. these areas. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, that's such a weird, like, how can, do, can, can this guy who's guiding this plane understand the impact of what he's doing? So he ended up setting up a camera in his uh, studio and it was just a lamp and I think like a bed and a wall. And he set the camera up so that there was also, uh, and it was like a live streaming thing. And anybody at any particular time could take over the controls of this robot that he built that was a paint gun. And the paint gun would shoot paint pellets at the artist. And it's really kind of heart-wrenching. And I'm just kind of teasing this podcast because... I don't get it. I'm, I'm lost. There's a guy in a booth somewhere in and real... And he's the zone. He's the drone uh, guy. He's a drone guy. And so he's allowing basically the same thing, which a much lesser impact. Like this guy's not going to die from being shot at with paintballs, but it's essentially the same thing. And it was really a case study of what it is that people might do. And there were some people that took it and you know some guys would get on his live stream or girls or whatever and they'd shoot at him and he would get hit with paint pellets and he did this for 30 days he never left the studio okay it's fascinating and he there was times when he was sick of getting hit with paint pellets because it freaking hurts mm-hmm. I've, I've i've done the paintball wars and it does not feel good mm-hmm. and um and after like day five, he was distraught and he was crying and, you know, he documented everything mm-hmm. and it, and it sounded like, like, oh my God, this is just a gut wrenching story. But then there would be other people that would take controls and just shoot at the wall and shoot it. So nobody, no other guy, cause only one person can control it at a time so that no other people can take control. That way this guy could have a little bit of peace. Mm. And then there was one, there's a few people that saw that one of these people that were trying to be malevolent, bad guys. Oh, the bad guys. Shot the lamp out. So the guy didn't have light. And then lo and behold, like six hours later, some stranger showed up with a lamp. Mm. So like all these people started, it was kind of a battle between the good and the evil. Right. Because some people were having fun trying to shoot at this poor guy and other people were shooting at at the wall so that nobody can take controls um, so that they can hit him. Mm. So it was just a really interesting, but the end, the very end of it, he's like, through these 30 days, I am so hopeful about humankind. Right. So, it, so I don't know. 
Well, I agree. I think that you, this is why I feel like it just a quick little political thing here is that, uh, you know, why we need to have people of good character making decisions for our country. Um, there are things that we can win or be great at or do better than, but if they're being done through a lens of somebody that doesn't have strong character or a sense of kindness or a sense of empathy for others, you're going to eventually get screwed by that mm -hmm. because sure, it may look good initially. Um, and I don't even know if that's the case in our situation here in our country, but you know, you may say point to things and be like, but look at all the winning and look at this winning, but someone of not great character doesn't mind shooting out the lamp. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, that can be a problem later on. And, and that, you know, I guess my point is, is that there are, we are, built and hardwired to to give the guy in the room a break and to say I can relate to that person because the way that my brain is structured I can see myself in that person in the room and what would I need I'd need a break yeah. so I'm going to take over these controls someone who has numbed themselves so much or so hurt or so harmed or unloved they, they're hurt instead of channeling it into a sense of compassion just becomes a, a, a vomit of hurt. Yep. And so, but they were still initially hardwired to, to support, yeah. but it's all being like, there's too warped. many walls. Yeah, it, yeah got it got warped. And on that note, I can't remember, I think it was a, a fresh air podcast, um, with this guy who had been, um, working with the people at Facebook and Instagram and some of the other social networking sites, there's this whole grouping of people who have to go through all the posts and decide what content needs to be removed mm. from these social networking sites. And these people that do that for a living struggle with so much trauma Oh wow! because all day long they're forced to look at violent sexual content. Mm -hmm. And some people initially may say, Oh my God, what an interesting job. It would be so interesting. No, it makes you sick because we are hardwired to not see these things. Yes. And so you may see something initially like, Oh, it's kind of like watching a horror movie, but then you realize these things are real yeah. and you have to constantly all day long look at them. And so he, they had measured how these people were, you know, doing and they don't last very long. Yeah. Let me just say that. And then they're traumatized afterwards about all the things they saw. Yeah. So this is good news for the world for as much as we want to say, why is it good news that people looking at bad Facebook content are traumatized? It's good news because that means our hardwiring is working yeah, it's correctly. It's an indicator. It's an indicator. So last clip and then we'll close the show. Um, this is, I have titled this collective trauma and it's a double-edged sword. I don't remember exactly what he says, but. Of uh, collective trauma, for instance, can make them more weary of outsiders and sort of more, as you, as you say, willing to even endorse um, violence or aggression towards outsiders. But thinking of a common threat is also one way to bring people within a group closer together. I remember after 9-11, the way that Americans really felt like we were all one because we were facing this really um, deep trauma together. And likewise, there's all sorts of evidence that when people feel that they have a common threat that they're facing, they band together. Which sounds great, except the one of the examples that they gave was like police officers. Um, you know, sometimes you see these shootings where police officers are improperly 
doing what doing their business and hurting young people. Um, these what seem to be good police officers that were not part of the incident will go to the side of the police officer. Of course, they rally around their person. Around their mm-hmm. person. So yeah. it's just weird how like you know one police officer can be empathic towards another police officer, but it's at the expense of justice. Right. Because that police officer did something that he or she shouldn't have done. And that police officer can look at the other police officer and say, I can see how that happened. They may not have done it. They may not believe that this person did the right thing, but they can say this job can lead to that happening. Therefore, I'm going to support this other officer. And to me, humanly, it makes complete sense. I'm not saying it's right, but you know what? Sorry, politics. Don't politicians do that? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, sure. oh, I don't believe in this, but let's support this. This yeah, we got to support this guy. We got to support or this, this or this, you know. Like, I don't believe in this at all. And yes, this is horrible, but let's support this person because. And again, there's a lot of personal interest involved too. But we, you know, sometimes we do that with our friends. Sometimes we rally around family members just because they're our family. Yep. Um, sometimes we rather we rally around someone who assaulted someone sometimes we rally around a victim like we it's it's whoever you can really see yourself in which sometimes you realize that even that rallying comes from compassion Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and when people they become afraid about the person they rally around is the person that they can relate to the most in that moment yeah you know so it is 9-11 was interesting for our country because we all as a community, as a big, as a country, we all had an outside person to blame. Yeah. And so instead of looking at each other, we all were able to collectively look outside. But unfortunately, that causes more pain yeah. and war. And so it, this is, again, going back to why you want someone who's rallying everybody to have some character. Because if you urge some diplomacy, because if not... We end up getting, we sometimes go to our worst impulses. Yep. Um, and this can be in a micro level or a macro level. Yeah. Um, I want to read a few bullet points from the good newsletter. Brandon, our friend who puts uh-huh. this thing out. Mm-hmm. So just to balance out. It's some actually of called this. the Good, Good, Good newspaper. Uh, is it? And I think the website is goodgoodgood.co. But anyways, mm-hmm. uh, a few bullet points. Scotland just produced enough wind energy to power all its homes twice over. Wow. Um, second one, and maybe the last one, scientists are closing in on a blood test for Alzheimer's. On Monday at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference, half a dozen research groups have give, gave new results on various experimental tests, including one that seems 88% accurate at indicating Alzheimer's risks. That's wonderful. Yeah. So there's good news out there. I think that's the only reason I wanted to bring that up. And I get this email from him every few days. So, um, And I have not... Uh, mentioned a few reviews we got. This is like a month old. But okay. um, Mariel from uh, the United States of America says that we're informative, supportive, and non judgmental. Well, thank you, Mariel. And Gabe from Minnesota. I think we know Gabe. Mm-hmm. I think Gabe went to the conference last mm-hmm. year, if I'm thinking of the right guy. High vibrations. You know that feeling you get when you read a book and every page you open up resonates with something you have always felt but not realized? That's what I get from every episode of ZPR. Kathy and Todd are at a high level of consciousness and can help raise yours by listening. Oh, that's nice. I bring that up not just to feed my own ego, but uh, please give us a review if you feel so compelled. Um, And then we have uh, pop culturing tomorrow. Do you know what we're... I'm going to play the music because I like our music. Do you know what we're doing? 
Are we doing say anything? No. Uh, are we doing Sex in the City? Correct. Okay. So Sex in the City tomorrow, if you want to hear but that. But not the movie, Sex in the City, the TV show. That's right. So that is a, um, it's kind of, you know, it, it was not an easy podcast to do because we tried to get a whole, you know, series into a podcast, but I think we did pretty well. Yes. If I remember correctly. We talked about everybody. Um, and we're doing 1440, October 25th through 27th. So if you want to hang out with Kathy and I uh, in this beautiful setting at 1440 Multiversity out in California, uh, go to our events page. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I do a tribe men's group. We have a virtual tribe meeting on August 14th. Uh, guys supporting other guys. So I invite you guys to check that out at tribemensgroup.org. Um, and then I want to talk about Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. He's our uh, partner, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Anything else you want to promote, my darling? I think that's it. Um, all right, so I think it's time for this music then. The good old music, sweetie. The ZPR music. The ZPR music. Um, have a great week. Happy August. Squeeze out as many last awesome summer days you can with your kids. No, I'm going to be sad again. The time is fleeting. I'm going to cry. I love summer. You do? Yes. I love my caterpillars and my butterflies and my flowers. But I do love fall, too. There's no crying. I am crying. There's no crying in baseball. I'm crying. Um, So just keep trucking, I guess. Yeah. Have a good week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Hey, we just launched our new podcast, Pop Culturing. It's Generation X look at movies, TV with a focus on personal growth and self-awareness. Basically, it's the flip side of ZPR. We break down key moments and little known facts and discuss what it means to be human. It's the podcast we've been searching for so we decided to create it ourselves. Yes. Did you know, Todd, that we have a third podcast? I did not know that. We do. It's called Zen Talks, and it's included with Team Zen membership. You get access to all the Zen Talks, the podcast, and that's we have like 60 and counting, access to a community Facebook page where you can ask us your personal questions, and you have access to a parenting community so you will never feel alone again. Within Teams, then, there are smaller groups like Raising a Differently Wired Kid or Raising Teenagers. Just don't do parenting alone. Join Team Zen. Hey, we want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, go to uh, zenparentingradio.com. Invite us to speak to your organization or your school about sex ed in the 21st century. It's the most important communication that parents can have with their kids, but it's not happening nearly enough. Email Todd at zenparentingradio.com or go to zenparentingradio.com to submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our other upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop Amazon, you can help us out by going to our Amazon link under support us on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Guys, two things. I have a coaching practice and it's called toddadamscoaching.com. Check it out. And I also have a tribe men's group. And in the past, it's always been um, in person, but we now have a virtual community. We do at least one virtual call a month and it's awesome. Check it out. Go to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. 
Don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th. Boom. Um, and finally, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty. He has a company called Avid Painting and Remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Thank you, Jeremy. And thanks to all of you listeners for your love and support. And for goodness sakes, just keep on trucking.